Many people see aging congregations and declining numbers as a sign of the death of the church, but we have an alternative position. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And it is a program produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. In serious conversation today, we're going to discuss changes in church dynamics and then a list of the best Christian Christmas songs. But before we have our serious conversation, let's talk about unholiness today. And this is our segment where we talk about the depraved activities going on in the world. And after I present them, Amanda gives us a sanctifying alternative where we can do something other than be totally depraved because in this world, people always do a lot of crazy things, but we are holiness people. We can move away from that. So. Let's get into this first story. The modern media is really obsessed with Russian bots. They look around and they say, oh, look, there's Russian bots. What sort of influence do they have? How many of them are? Are they really real? Well, not to be outdone, Russia has actually put together its own Russian bot. And it wants to use this Russian bot to stir up the excitement from their youth. They want the Russian youth to say, look at our country. We have a wonderful amount of technological advancement. And so Russia's got this new bot and they've been taking him and presenting him to the young people. But there's just one problem. You see, the real Russian bot turned out just to be a human in a costume. And we have a meme for this, if Anthony would. When you're the one person trying to convince the world, you're a Russian bot. And for those listening to the podcast, that is the Chuck E. Cheese meme with those shifty eyes, just sitting there <laughs> sweating. Oh my gosh, are people going to see through me? Yeah. So, Amanda, before we have you tell us whether or not this is totally depraved or just unfortunate, I want us to actually see some footage of this robot. And we would like you out there in the audience, send us your thoughts. Do you, would you believe this was a real robot? Or are you going to see through it and say this is just somebody in a costume? Anthony, if you would play that footage. So neither his dance moves nor <laughs> the, I guess, surrounding who I suppose would be Russians dance moves particularly great, but he is moving. Yeah, it wasn't the best choreographed thing ever. <laughs> would it be too on the nose if they actually did the robot as a robot? <laughs> it, it would probably be too on the nose. But, you know, it is what it is. One of the things that really messed them up on this, too, is this costume is regularly purchasable. So it wasn't even an originally made <laughs> costume for this. You can just do a Google search and find it for sale. Um, so, Amanda, what are your thoughts? Would you believe this robot is real? Is this totally depraved or is it just an unfortunate thing in the world? Well, I, I think yeah, it moves into a place of depravity. I think for those who were maybe taken in by it, it was just unfortunate. And I think it is unfortunate the fact they they uh, didn't think through their plan enough to, to make or make a unique costume or even to make a more robotic. Um, I mean, he looks like a robot, but he looks like a robot from a cartoon versus how we kind of actually see robots being used today, which are much more mechanical and cold and, and just more functional than something so cutesy. Um, but it definitely moves into a place of depravity because there was an alternative mo motive to deceive people, um, whether it was for national pride or maybe to scare some people into thinking that uh, Russia has some real good technology on their side. Um, and even that doesn't, this what they did didn't kind of fit those schemes really well because if you're going to go for pride and power, again, wouldn't you go for something a little bit more menacing instead of that? But anyways. Anthony? Well, I will say, if you're going for pride and power, you definitely don't start with a fanny pack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely true. You do not start with a fanny pack. Yeah, that one kind of takes you away. Anyways, let's move on to our next story. Um, this is about a burglary gone wrong. We always hear the phrase, you're too cool for school. 
We hear things like this and we say, oh, that's a fun saying. It's just having a little bit of fun with language, but it's not really possible to be too cool for school. But I have a question for us. What if it was actually possible? What if you could actually be too cool for school? Well, this burglar found himself in a very similar situation because he thought he would be real slick and break into a closed Chinese restaurant. However, things went wrong when he found out that he was indeed too slick. Now we have a meme for this as well. Didn't know you could be too slick. <laughs> yeah, this, this man was certainly in quite tr the, the trouble when he found himself covered in grease and was unable to get out of the, the closed restaurant's grease trap. He actually spent two days being trapped in the grease trap. And again, he's covered in grease. And after two days, firefighters were able to free him by dismantling the grease trap. And there he was taken to a local hospital where he was at in California. Now... Police assume they have no confirmation that this was actually a burglary attempt, but they assume that he was coming to burglarize the Chinese restaurant. However, since it is only an assumption at this point, we don't have it confirmed, this has left us with a rather unpalatable question. Because what exactly were they cooking in this restaurant? He was in the grease trap. Amanda, what are you thinking? Totally depraved or just unfortunate? Uh, I think we start with depravity if it is a, a burglary 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 um but it moves into unfortunate as he gets stuck in the grease trap and and also something that kind of just dawned on me is like how why would you go into the grease trap sometimes they're a separate entity than than the building like you have to take your grease out of your smaller fryers and go dump it into like a separate container um so why would you even go towards a grease trap in the first place versus the actual building what made you think that there was a lead in into the building um so there, there's some serious gaps in information i think that are happening or in planning um and, and then yeah it is unfortunate he was stuck in there for two days that, that just cannot be good like we've we've shared a story where someone tried to break into an alligator enclosure and they got bit and that that's some logical cause and effect going on there and this one is just weird um so it may i guess border more on the side of unfortunate yeah he um kind of cursed yourself there bro <laughs> Um, but he is doing, I think he's expected to have a good recovery, so there's that. Meanwhile, in California, or excuse me, meanwhile in Florida, moving from California to Florida, meanwhile in Florida, another burglary went wrong. A man in Florida, he arrived at his Land O'Lakes home and discovered that the glass of his front door was shattered. And he's quoted as saying, as I was going through the house, I noticed valuables had not been taken. This is what the man told Bay, 9, or Bay News 9. He also said, I was thinking, what kind of robbery is this? Now, this is actually a really good question. You know, we've read the story of Cain and Abel. We realize sometimes there are things crouching at the door, wanting to shatter through the front door, that are coming in there, not because they want their valuables, but because they want you. They're things that want to possess you. There are evil and sin and bad forces in the world that want you. So when someone's broken into your home and you realize they haven't stolen anything, you know, you're thinking, well, what do they want? They want me? You know, this is a bad, bad thing. Well, the man continued to examine his home. And he called the police when he dis discovered sounds of a creature in the bathroom. Now, we have a meme for this as well. We'll pull it up in a sec. Um, police arrived and they found that it was a deer that had actually <laughs> shot it through his door and came inside and went in his bathroom. Now, at first you might say, how could you mistake a deer for a, a burglary? But when you see, we went to the deer's profile on Facebook and we have his profile image here we're going to pull up for you. And you can kind of see why he was mistaken for a burglar. It doesn't just because he broke in, but when you see his profile picture, it sort of starts to add up. Yeah, there's something a little bit suspicious going on there. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is, is, is telling on himself. Amanda, what do you think? Is this just unfortunate or is it totally depraved? I think, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, 
I, I don't think anyone or the deer obviously didn't have nefarious um, ideas going on. He just probably got lost or scared and went through the window. I do think there's a little bit of some deficiency going on on the man's part where he actually goes into the house that he thinks has been broken into um, and only decides to call the police after he starts hearing noises. Um, and let's just put this kind of like as a, a, a PSA kind of thing. Uh, don't be the first five minutes of a Criminal Minds episode. If your house looks broken into, stay outside well, and call the police. Also, you know, you saying this is the first five minutes of a Criminal Minds episode. I was thinking this is like the first five minutes of a horror movie because there's a monster in your house and it doesn't want your possessions. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't want your possessions. So... This is this is also the first five minutes of a of a different um, dark plot. It, it wants something else. There's no material that will appease it. There is no but material your soul. that there. Your soul is the only thing it wants. So you know. Um, yeah. Anyways. All right. We'll be back for our main conversation, talking about is the church dead. Recently. This is, there's been a sentiment in the church where people don't really have a good grasp of where we're going or even where, where we're at right now. And even people aren't really good at analyzing what's been going on in the, the church the last few years. Hence why there's a huge market for this. People, they put out books and people, they grab them up. Districts in the church, and they want everybody to check out these books. Oh, we've got some new great church growth model. People are really unsure about how church growth works. And recently, um, a Tumblr blogger who uh, sometimes we, we communicate a little bit with called A Journey in Faith, he posted a, a post f with the following statement. And he was saying, I hear people say that the church is dead, that there is no longer relevant in today's world. I cannot disagree more. We are faced with the declining numbers in aging congregations in many places. And although this trend is worrying, it should not be seen as some kind of a death toll. It, it's not the bell shining that the, the church has died. And this really is something we should talk about. So this is a common thing I've heard a lot of people talk about, this idea that the church is dead. It's no longer relevant in the, the world. And even I myself, as a younger pastor, when people would ask me, what's the problem with church growth? I would look at the round and say, well, the church is no longer relevant. And we've got to figure out how to make it relevant. As I've gotten older, as I've gotten a little bit wiser, I think it's actually a much deeper problem than that. And so how I would like us to have our serious conversation today is I have two points that I would like to, to share with Amanda. Um, I will present both of them, then I will go back and give some detail to the first one, and I'll let you respond, Amanda, and then I'll talk about the second one, and I'll let you respond, and then we'll move on to our next segment. So it's just starting off this. So there, there definitely is a general sentiment in the church where people feel like Christian tradition, they feel like the church growth is something which is not really valued in Western culture. It's not relevant anymore. Um, people, they enhance this sentiment. They enhance their arguments by pointing to declining church numbers. They point to the fact that there's a general disavowing of Christian traditions. They look and they say, oh, well, the congregations are aging. We should just let those places die off. And even the church itself, you know, who are we going to be next? And we kind of try to figure out who we're going to be and how we're going to bring people in. But there are a few points that come to my mind because I think we're going about this whole issue completely wrong. I think we're at this issue completely fundamentally wrong. I think we need to remember that the gospel is the gospel and we have no claim to the design of the gospel and we should not water down the gospel if we want the church to grow. But in response to church growth, there are two things I want to point out. And the first is this, that people want the effects of the gospel without the gospel being the cause of those effects. So that's point number one. Point number two is that in recent history, 
being the earlier part of the 20th century, so that's something people live long enough to, to remember. It's something really recent history. The church had a monopoly on belief systems, but this is not the case anymore. Now, when I said they had a monopoly on the belief systems, I'm coming at this from a really objective, I'm trying to be as intellectually honest about this as possible. Yes, of course, I'm a Christian, of course, I'm a pastor, but I want to be objective about this. The church had a monopoly on belief systems, but this is not the case anymore. So we'll talk about that after we talk about this first point. So going back to that is, I want to elaborate on the idea that people want the effects of the gospel without the gospel being the cause of such effects. People often want, in our modern world, to separate the history that brought us to this moment in time. They want to separate that out from the, the Christian history. They want to separate that out from the reasoning minds of the Enlightenment, which was in conjunction and a product of the revelation of New Testament logic, which is a fulfillment of the Old Testament law. People want to pretend as if our notions of right and wrong are something inherent to the human condition, which is just not true. The values of Western civilization where each and every one of us as individuals, we can have unique worth as an individual, you can have unique thought as an individual. This is something which is not found throughout human history. And it's not found by naturally just internal reflection. People don't just sit down and say, well, let me figure out who I am. And suddenly you have a civilization where everybody has unique worth as individuals. Again, you go back to ancient Egypt, you're not getting an audience with the Pharaoh just because you think that you deserve one. You don't get to go to school just because you think you want to go to school. You don't get to go before the, the king because you think you get to. Um, this idea that each and every individual has independent worth, like they're actually worth something, this is the product of a very long process. It's the product of, of the law turning into the New Testament and the, the revelation there bringing force to the, to the liberal arts movement and the movements in the Enlightenment. All of this long history has brought us where we're at today, but people want to chop themselves off from that. And people, they like the products of the New Testament logic, but they don't want the Christian faith to be connected to those products. So, Amanda, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think um, you had talked about within modern history, um, but this is something we can see that has been happening for quite a while in the sense of um, kind of the movement towards humanism. And I think one of the greatest examples of humanism gone awry is we can look at the French Revolution and, and its um, preceding or the events that happened afterwards was that uh, people began to want to rediscover this idea of individual worth, that each person had value and rights regardless of uh, which class they were born in or which nationality they were from, um, but that basically just to be human meant you were valued. And we see that when that became disconnected from the church, what would end up is then they would try to find new people to persecute. Again, as we look in the French Revolution, they're like, you know, the, the common person should have rights and values. And then they end up killing all these innocent people. And some of them weren't innocent, but a lot of them were innocent just because simply because they were part of um, the bourgeoisie or they were part of the royal um, class and therefore they had to die. And we can also look at other historical events as this. But again, this is kind of, we can see a very clear distinction of when, when value becomes separate from Christianity, from the faith, where we say, yes, each person is valued individually, but it's valued because of who they are and created the image of God. In our modern world, we see this a lot with movements that come and go. And so people can find that kind of fulfillment of what used to be the church. And I know this is bleeding in kind of to your second comment, but we, they find, well, I can just join this group or that group and I can find my value in that. And again, because there's that disconnect with the church, it, it's, it's a facade. Um, it's, it's a wall that looks like it's made out of stone, but it, it's actually just plaster. And those kinds of structures ultimately will crumble. 
Yeah, and I think you're right. They will crumble. Um, let's go on to the second point because this is really a huge conversation. So just to reiterate the second point, in recent history, the church had a monopoly on belief system, but this is not the case anymore. So let me tell you what I mean when I'm saying this. And this is important, I think, for us to understand as we decide how we're going to move forwards in church growth. So throughout history, there have been many shallow and incomplete theologies within the church and even in other places. Within the church, we have had entire groups that were less focused on the gospel than they were on appeasing their members. Sometimes these were straight up heretical pits of hell doing crazy things like trying to eradicate the Old Testament, trying to say God the Father is an evil demon. You get all sorts of weird things. Other times you get it where it's just people being plain shallow. They really don't care how complete their logic is. They don't necessarily care to develop an understanding of God the Father. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb here. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not somebody interested in shallow theology. Just the fact that you're listening to a Christian podcast tells you you're wanting some sort of, of more theology in your life. But throughout time, you've had people who, who they like to dip into the shallow theology. And in our modern world, people have, they, they've sought to remove God from the public sphere. And realistically, the human condition, people, doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young or old, people need something to help them walk through life. You can't just remove God from the public sphere and pretend that everything's going to be okay. People need something to tell them what is right from wrong. They need something to help give them meaning and order in life. They need some metric for saying who's the good guys, who are the bad guys. They need something for telling them, you know, I've got to have a direction for my moral compass. In the past, if people wanted to act on their shallow faith, and they still needed something to fill that role for a moral compass, they would go to a church, they would go to a Christian church, and they would just act out their shallow faith there. But now in our modern day and age, the church no longer has a monopoly. So people who are only interested in shallow faith, which again, I don't think it's anybody going to be listening to this podcast, though I kind of hope that they are. And you, let's work through these things. But now in our modern day and age, people, they have alternative places to work out a shallow belief system or an incomplete belief system. Instead of going somewhere like the church where maybe you're going and the, the minister doesn't really have a good understanding of, of deep concepts or maybe the songs are, are not the most theologically sound, but you're just working out shallow faith. Instead of people doing that now, they go other places. They find other things to make us gods. Maybe it's the government. A lot of times it is the government for people. If you look at the American political condition, you can see people have unmistakably made politics out to be an idol. That is their new metric for right and wrong. And if the wrong person's elected, oh, it's like right and wrong is going to be blown away. Government is not the source of right and wrong. It's just not. And also when you look at like celebrities and things, people, they say, oh, well, my, my hero let me down. You know, I really like this football player. And then he did this to his, his girlfriend in an elevator. And you're like, oh, I'm crushed. Well, you shouldn't have been getting your virtues of right and wrong from people like that. And furthermore, people find other things which aren't just external, but also internal. Like one of the great things we have with the coming of social media is there's this new idea that your identity can be an idol. If I just look deep within myself, you know, this is my democratic stat, demo, demographic status, and now I am free. I have found salvation because I've accepted who I really am. Um, and I have some hidden knowledge that's unattainable to any other group. It's sort of that logic that, you know, a, a chihuahua has an experience that only a chihuahua has. And you can't take him to a veterinarian that's a, a human being because only a chihuahua should be a, a vet. Only a chihuahua can relate to that. And I say that because I have a chihuahua. Um, kind of by proxy, I have a blue healer too. Um, but like only blue healers can tend to the blue healers and only um, chihuahuas can tend to Charlie. 
So we have a world where there's an alternative place for people to go who want to act out a shallow belief system. They're not going to commit to something deep. They're not going to commit to something which is holistically fulfilling. They just want something to fill that little hole in their mind that tells them right and wrong. They don't really want to care about fleshing it out. And now the church is no longer having a monopoly on that. And what gets me is I feel like the church really wants to serve the shallowness and it wants to forsake the intellectual side of things. And what we have done is we've pushed away a lot of people who aren't, they're not interested in, and this is going to sound really awful when I say this, and send your pitchforks, <laughs> they're not interested in Hillsong culture. They're not interested in the, the goofy youth group culture. They're not interested in the, the culture which can't answer serious questions. They're not interested in the, the culture which says, you know, I'll eat a goldfish if you'll come to church. They want something which is deeply rooted and says this is thousands of years of theology. This is thousands of years of beautiful art, of beautiful thinking that can transform any of us because we are all sinners into the image of Christ Jesus. But that's one of my thoughts. Um, we're not so much seeing a decline because people are leaving as much as we're seeing a decline, it's the shallow people are not coming to the church anymore. So that's sort of the heart of Margaret. The shallow people are finding a way to act out shallowness elsewhere. Amanda, your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, and, and I think because we do have more mediums, um, you talk about belief systems, but we even have mediums for, for so-called Christians to no longer um, participate actively in the church. Um, and, you know, as we kind of sit here and we're, we're a, um, a podcast that, that displays on Facebook and stuff, but we never set ourselves up to be an alternative to the church. We, we are participatory in the church. So this is just a ministry of, of a church, of, of local congregations where people can actually go to and participate in. But there are other mediums that do happen where, where people can just back off. And, and like you said, it's not so much people have left the church as much as people who weren't participatory in the first place have left yeah. the church or a new generation has come up and they've seen that they've seen that shallowness they've realized there's nothing there so they're trying to find it somewhere else and i think another thing to your point about if and you had made the statement earlier how do we make the church relevant again um and that's a statement that we've heard a lot um and again i think there's some times we have to reevaluate some again our mediums or our methodology and look at how that needs to change with different cultures and language groups and, and generations but if we ever think to ourselves, we have to make the church relevant again, how arrogant is that? Like, like and, and then also um, something I had when we were discussing what we were going to talk about, like how arrogant do you have to believe that somehow this is the culture and this is the church that will finally kill, or this is the generation that will finally kill the church? Like, it survived Nero. It survived um, the bubonic plague. It even survived the church itself sometimes. What makes you think... Um, that somehow we can kill it. Um, so there's just a lot of arrogance and misinformation and a bad foundation to start of. And, and I think that's why it's so, it's so amazing that this blogger um, posted, like, well, obviously we can't kill the church. Uh, the church is an entity, though definitely, obviously, people are called to participate in it. It will survive regardless of, of who's in it or who's not. Um, and we have to find that that wholeness and that identity and who we are comes from a bigger source than ourselves. Because if our source is the church, quote unquote, if it is a culture, if it is a building, then it will fail us versus if it is the church universal that is the bride of Christ. And ultimately, our faith is in Christ um, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we're going to find that's going to outlast all these different trends and things like that. And I think something, again, we have to keep going back to is... God calls for full participation. 
Um, and this is something, as we've discussed, uh, we are a holiness denomination. Uh, we believe in entire sanctification. Um, but entire sanctification, although we definitely affirm that it is a second work of, of God's grace, there's no such thing as even in initial sanctification, in initial salvation, there's no such thing as a half a Christian. John Wesley himself even proclaimed that intentional sinning stopped at the moment of salvation, not entire sanctification, not at glorification, but at salvation. And so if we are to be a people committed to God, it's either 100% or nothing. You don't get halfway through, right? Um, half of you does not go to heaven. Uh, and so if we are to be a people who participate in the church, we have to do it all the way. And so have numbers decline maybe because the, the backsliding Christians finally left? Maybe. Um, is it because we sometimes try to be so shallow to attract more shallow people that those who honestly want the church aren't coming? That could be something too. People are broken and they want to find something that will make them whole again. And if the church does not live up to its task to be a means of God's grace, they will find it somewhere else, even if it's not quite complete enough for them. But the church has to be a place of serious thought. Yes, let's have fun, let's joy, have joy, but we have to be a place of serious thought if we are to be that means of God's grace. Absolutely, and I wanna build off what you're saying a little bit, Amanda. Um, first of all, when we talk about half of you doesn't get to go to heaven, to that point, that doesn't mean that you become immediately completely self-aware. Right. That does oh, mean yeah. that you're, you're, you're a changed person. There's definitely growth. And there's, again, you look over my shoulder right now, there's the poster that says, I believe, help my unbelief. There's still an element of growth. And that's the thing. In the church, we are capable of critical thinking. You know, so many people, they say, oh, don't use big words. Don't. You're out in a rural congregation. Those people don't want to have big words. And I'm just saying, how do you know? Have you been to a rural congregation lately? <laughs> in fact, I, I think that's so rude to talk down to people as yeah. if people don't want to learn. Look, I I'm, am a rural pastor, but my people, they want to learn. Everywhere I, I have, have been, the serious Christians, they want to learn. Do they want to be talked down to? No. And you can still approach people and say, we're going to learn big concepts. We're going to have Sunday school that's, that's going to be on college level. You can do that. Things people want to learn. And throughout history, the core there's always been the core of the church. And then you've always had people who are, you know, they're kind of in it a little bit, They but they're not as diehard as others. And I think really we've outsourced a lot of the people who are traditionally pew sitters. Mm -hmm. Again, I, if you're listening to this podcast, the chance of you being just a, a pew sitter once or twice, remembering you're a Christian like two times a year is probably not likely. Um, but I think we've outsourced the pew sitters basically is, is kind of my thought. May or may be wrong on that, but this I do know. We don't need to water down the gospel. What the problems are, we may not always have the answer that we should be conscious about them. We should try to learn as much as we can, but sometimes we're not going to solve everything in the world. We're not, we're not omnipotent people. We're not omnipresent people. Um, those are things which are, are characteristics of God, which we can, can only look to and try to see ourselves be more transformed into Christ-likeness. But the reality is, is the gospel needs to be serious. Yes, there is joy unspeakable that comes in it. Being in the Christian faith, going on the adventure of holiness. It is an adventure. There are times you lose people. There are times you lose people you love. There are times where tragedy strikes. There are times where you get thrown out of your homeland. If you look throughout the history of the people of God, Abraham and Sarah, they're called to go on an adventure. You even look at Jesus as he goes through his ministry. He goes into the wilderness. He goes to all these places. There are times people want to stone him. There are times he has thousands of people coming to hear him speak and the next day he's only got 12. And if this was the modern world, the DS may want to shut them down. You never know. That's a bit of a Nazarene joke there. Um, but realistically, Jesus is more than happy to minister to two people. 
He's more than happy to minister to 5,000 because it doesn't necessarily matter how many you've got, though ultimately you do have to be bringing new people in. But what does matter is are you feeding people and are the people that are there growing? And are they reaching out to other people? And that's really my my thoughts on all this. Amanda, any final thoughts before we move yeah, on? And, and I do want to kind of clarify um, what I was saying earlier. Obviously, there's always room for growth. Um, when we talk about things like Christian perfection, it is not that somehow you have suddenly arrived and everything's perfect, but that you are being perfected yep. in grace, in God's love. And so, but what, I, what I'm talking about when I said, like, you have to be fully committed and if ever there's a time where you feel like you're only partially committed or there is backsliding, remember, God is faithful and just to forgive us if we repent. Um, so there's always room for grace. There's always room for growth. But we have to be a people of commitment. And if we are people of commitment, some people will turn away from us because they don't want to be a people of commitment. They don't want to put in the hard work that it takes to participate in the kingdom of God. So we will lose people and people will not attend our churches because they don't want to be that kind of commitment. But if we are a people of commitment, if we are a people of grace, then we will make a, our world truly a better place and not just simply change some shallow appearances um, just to make things look good. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But it will be better if we are truly committed and participating in the kingdom of God. Yeah, and the people interested in something deep, they will, be, they will yes. come. They will have a place to go. Yeah. You don't want to ostracize your core. It's weird. The church tends to like to do that sometimes. They're like, oh, this is like a core people. This is the like high quality the people over there that are really, and I don't mean high quality because of like superficial character. I mean like people who are really interested in manifesting the gospel. And they're like, yeah, you know, the, the demographic we want. So, Anyways, we'll be moving on now. Um, check out that blog though. It's called A Journey in Faith and it's got a dash between each of those. He brought up this question. He again, he doesn't think that the, the church is dying. He just wanted to give a little bit of rebuttal with that and we wanted to build off of his rebuttal. Um, it's really quality program, our, our Tumblr blog. And with that, we'll be back in a moment to play Hot Night of Sanctified with the best Christmas songs. How this works is if we say hot, we're saying it's a good Christmas song and it's appropriate on the list where it's at. And if we say not, we say no, it's either too high or it's too low. Or maybe we just don't like it. Maybe this thing is terrible. And if we say sanctified, which we can only say once a program, we're saying only God can decide. Only God can decide. So that being said, send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. Anthony is going to read us a list. And also we realize this can go a little bit long sometimes. Anthony has permission to speed us up. <laughs> and we have all consented and said, Anthony, if you speed us up, it'll be great. If you speed us up too much, we'll break you up into the wall and make you a permanent fixture of the church. <laughs> but if not, within reason. So, Anthony, share with us this list. Okay, well, I wanted to start with the honorable mentions because I feel like that should be part of, I mean, obviously, the songs merited honor that merited mentions. So, uh, here they go. It's, do you hear what I hear? It came up. It came upon the midnight clear, come thou fount of every blessing, away in a manger, once in a royal in royal David's city, lo how a rose air blooming, bring a torch, Jeanette Isabella. That one seminal song, nope, I'm sorry, that, that was actually, uh, I guess, breaking the fourth wall by them, but just given those so far, 
How do you guys think that sets the tone for this list? How is Away in the Manger not on the... T- how, what is this, the top 10, top 15? Top 15. Yeah, and the top 15, how is Away... Now, there are two Away in the Mangers. That so is may- true. That maybe is it's true. the lesser known Away in the Manger. Um, maybe. And what is... is oh, okay. Come Thou Found, is that a... Is, and Chris- that's, yeah, that's a Christmas song? Like, what? I, we sing that year-round. People are going to think we're... Yeah, whatever. I can't All right. think of anything that's Christmassy about. So this is weird. This sets a weird tone, this, but continue. It's a weird tone, but we'll see. And in the end, we'll decide. The whole list is hot. The 15th. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I'll say hot. I can see that being at 15. Yeah, it's appropriate. Yeah. I, I think it's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's it's known, but not it's super. it's no it kind of drags a little bit. I know pitchforks are coming. Send them to <laughs> 6186 Eaton's Creek Road, or you can send them to us online somewhere. If you want to send us the anti-pitchfork, you can donate at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. You don't have to. It's a free program. <laughs> the uh, This one was, they said, was a very close call between Away in the Manger. Okay. Just edged Away in the Manger out? Yep. All right. What's 14? I saw three ships come sailing in. Okay, now that one should be on the honorable mentions. I agree. Not. Not. The Little Drummer Boy. Did so the Rankin Bass movie that came out, The Little Drummer Boy, was that where the song originated? I think the song did originate with the Rankin Bass movie. And you mean like the claymation? Movie? Yeah, the claymation movie. If someone out in the audience knows better than this than I do, please let me know. I think it's an all right thing, but I don't think it's a top fifteen song because it's one of those things where it's either you like it or you don't. Um, so I'm gonna say not because I don't think it. I don't think it's a top fifteen song. Well, and I think also, like, when you said these are all going to be Christian Christmas songs, I almost put this in the secular, even though, yeah. it, like, it talks about Jesus and the movie has Jesus in it. Yeah. It's really kind of like just trying to shoehorn in Christianity back into yeah. Christmas well, than it is really about. So I don't know. I, yeah, I'm going to go with, with back. That. If you go back to the Crelimation movies, a lot of them do shoehorn Christianity in there. But there is one. <laughs> there is one that is the ultimate. It takes not just the Christmas story, but the story of the gospel to the next level. And it's called Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. If you have not seen that movie, and look, there are a few things. I thought things. that was the same story. I honestly feel like the donkey was at the Little Drummer Boy. I, I have I've, I've put the, that as one movie. Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. If you have not seen it, I recommend it. It's about 20, 30 minutes long. It takes the gospel. It is such a good movie. Um, <laughs> You, you even see the sacrifice of oneself so that another may live. And this is a children's program where you see someone die. You see... Um, well, don't give us spoilers, but... Uh, it is good. <laughs> to it, get back to the Christmas will, songs. You will be crushed in it. You will be inspired in it. That is... Like, the other ones, they're okay. You get a few good ones, but Nestor is... <laughs> and Anthony's waving for us to speed up. So that means one brick. I'm going to start bricking you up as it is. <laughs> Hark the Herald's Angels... Angles. Angels. Angels. <laughs> Sing good. Are they 90 degree angles? <laughs> Obtuse. Yeah. Acute. And this uh, is what, number 12? This oh. is number 12. 12. Um, I don't even know what I would anticipate number one being, but I feel like Hark the Hair of the Angels Sing would be a little bit higher up because that one, everyone, everyone, almost everyone knows that one and sings it. Not, so, not. Too, too low. Way too low. Yeah. I agree. 11th, the first Noel. That one, it can run for a little while, but it's a beautiful melody. The melody's short, but it's beautiful. Um, it's number 11. It is. I would actually see that be like a number nine. I, I kind of want the first Noel in the top ten, but not too high in the top ten. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I think Christmas songs are weird because a lot of them, like, start off real low and then they go really high. Not in volume, but in, in pitch. Yeah. So I, that one sometimes is hard to sing. So I could see it being lower because it's not always a great congregational. Yeah. It's a good song to listen to, but not sing. So I, I kind of understand. So I'm going to go with hot. You know, I, not that I'm giving into peer pressure. I'm going to say hot, too. If it being in the – this is number 11, right? So yep. just barely out of the top 10? Being in the like nine to eleven range, I think is good for the first Noel. I can see it there. I'll say hot. Okay. What's number ten? Breaking into the top ten, joy to the world. Now, see, I feel like that one should be top five. Again, that's one that a lot of people know. Even it doesn't matter if you've been to church once in your life, you know joy to the world, and it is joy to the world. The king is come, king has come, king has come. Kind of has some present tense thing going on in there, so it's just very intriguing. So I definitely think that should be higher on the list. So not. I like to say hot. I think it's fine at 10. Number nine. And this one I may not pronounce correctly. Good King Winslas. 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 All right. Now. I don't. I know of that song, but I couldn't hum it to you. Um, not because it's not a top 10 Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that there. But the story of Winslas is not actually. A king is just more of a nobility, though a lot of times the line between nobility and kings get blurred. The okay. story behind this this guy is actually pretty cool. And I don't want to give spoilers on that, too. Go look it up. Do a Google search. Um, and Anthony, spell Winsless for people so they can Google search that. W-E-N-C-E-S-A. No, S-L-A-S. Mm. I'm off my What's reading game off today. Off your rocker. Yeah, definitely not a top ten. Yeah, not a top ten. It's a cool story. The, the story is probably one of the, the top ten stories behind it. Maybe. I don't know, top ten. But it's a cool story. Mm. Story's cooler than the song is. Number eight. Pitchforks. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Yeah, I like that one. It's That's eight. Good. I can, I can say hot eight. to that. Well, I may say it needs to be higher. No. It is a top ten, but there may be seven songs better than that. So I'll say hot there. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I think this song should be higher personally because I think it has some wonderful lyrics. But it is so diluted because um, it has a phrase, comfort and joy. It's often used in advertisements for selling things like cars or couches, which <laughs> aggravates me to no end. Like, if there's something I can get, like, angry on a soapbox that has no, I guess, bearing on the world in general, it's that Christian Christmas songs get to use to sell things. Like, I don't know why that makes me so mad, but it does. Um, so I love this song and want to protect it so bad. I want it to be higher in the list, but I understand why it's on eight. So I'm going to say hot. Number seven, Angels We Have Heard on High. Yeah. See, I would actually put Hark the Herald Angels Sing right above Angels We Have Heard on High. Yeah. And, like, normally I would I would be cool. This is seven, right? Yep. If Angels We Have Heard on High was seven and Hark the Herald Angels was six. But with Hark the Herald Angels being, like, 13 or whatever it was and this being seven, I'm like, no. Nah. Yeah, it's fine where it is if other songs were higher above yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so I'm I'm gonna stay hot with it there, but I'm gonna have a big, like, you know, mean mug for the people who put this <laughs> list because you've put some songs below it that I think should be above it. Like, I definitely think it's like seven on top. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Number six, Silent Night. Yeah. Yeah, I can I see guess that. So. Yeah. yeah, I'll say hot. Number five, We Three. We Three Kings of Orients are. Okay, real quick. It's actually not a 
Christmas song. And uh, actually, some of these songs we're talking about are actually Advent songs. They're not Christmas songs and blah, blah, blah. This would actually be an Epiphany song, song that we should <laughs> sing on Epiphany Sunday, which is December 6th this year. Um, but Epiphany is always on December 6th, but it actually falls on a Sunday this year to say... And I get it, it's a Christmas song, whatever. Um, but I think it should be lower on the list, so not. Well, I, here's the thing. Like, you've got <laughs> God Rest You Merry Gentlemen and We Three Kings, which kind of go hand in hand with one another in a similar way that, like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing mm-hmm. and Angels We Have Heard on High. The melody is not exactly the same, but there's some connections there. They're... I really like We Three Kings. It's fun to play. It's fun to play on the saxophone. It's fun to play on the piano. It's fun to play on a lot of instruments. Um, and it actually blends together with a lot of instruments. It's a really great pitch where it's normally an E minor. Um, I can live with it being five, but I don't think it should be higher than others. I don't think it should be higher than Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yeah, that's weird. I think that one's, that's going to be the one on this list, which really gets me. That one should have been a lot higher. I, I think I'm really interested now. Have what they think seen are the Snoopy? Top four. Yeah. Have they seen Snoopy? <laughs> like, come on. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Sings. Yeah. Like, Number four. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Yeah, that, and again, see, that one's not super popular, so I wonder what their metric was for the top 15. But even though it's not super popular, it is, I think, a really important Christmas song. Um, and actually, it is technically an Advent song, but anyways, we'll go back to that later. Um, so I, I, I'm going to say hot. I'm tempted to say hot, but I'm also tempted <laughs> to like just lay down the hammer and say not to everything else on the list because <laughs> Hark the Herald Angel Hang is so low. The more I think about Hark the Herald Angel Sing, the more I think about like Charlie Brown and like Snoopy and all them, I'm like, no! <laughs> It needs no, to that, be number one. That is higher. So <laughs> in spite of that, I want to say not, but I do think that's actually a good place for this one. So I will say, I hate to re- do this. I'm going back hunt. to number five for a second. We Three Kings of Orients are. I was reading their little sub notes just now, and they were saying, they were talking about the video they shared and stuff, and they were like, is this going to convince you that it deserves to be in the top five? Absolutely not. Does it strike a uh, nostalgic chord with me, and am I going to force it on you? Yes. <laughs> and just moves on. At least the author of the list was honest. They are honest. This was you know, totally I can ap- their opinion. I can appreciate their honesty. Yeah. I can I can I can have some grace for that. Alright, so is this next yeah. one number two? This next one is number three. Oh number three, okay. What child is this? Now see that's also not a Christmas oh it's actually just it's it's green sleeves rebranded. I know you all ring your, your sleeves. <laughs> People snort and they say things like, oh, Genesis 1 through 12 is different. Daniel may not have been real. And it, people always say that stuff and you're like, strangle you. Um, talk about Daniel. Anyways, um, we do like Daniel here. Um, and I actually like the song, What Child Is This? But, you know, people are always like, it's actually green sleeves. Who cares? I actually think it's a good song. And I, I like the direction it takes you with sort of the question. And I think it actually captures Mary's mentality. As the angel and things come, I think it captures a lot of the Christmas elements from like the theological perspective. The tune's catchy. I'll say hot. It's a bit of a rant there. Yeah. I'm not sure I got everything you said. But um, I just, yeah, I'm still upset that like, it's so high above some other ones. So, but it, I don't know. I'm going to say not just because I, I feel like other songs should be in the top three other than that one. It's, a yeah. good, it's not a bad song. It's All, right. Not. All right. Be- before we get to the next two. If O Holy Night is up there, I like O Holy Night, but it's not one or two. I would put Hark the Herald Angels Sing at one. <laughs> and then number two, I'm not a huge fan of Silent Night, the tune, but I like the way it goes. So I'd probably put on Christmas songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and like Silent Night. But I don't think they're going to do that. So I'm going to no. be mad. I'm probably just going to by default say not, not to both of these. But what <laughs> do, you, do you have any predictions of what they no, will be? No, I just can't even think. 
Oh, Holy Night's one of the ones that we haven't seen in the list this far, and I bet it's up there. All right, so moving on to number two. Oh, come all ye faithful. And next to it, I'm not sure what this means, but it has um, Adeste Fidelis. Not sure what that means. Oh, come all ye faithful is good, but it's not number two. It's not better than O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yeah. It's not better than yeah. the one Emmanuel, um, just the Emmanuel song. It's not better than Heart the Herald Angels Sing. <laughs> it's not better than Angels We Have Heard on High. So no, not too high. Yeah, it definitely needs to be in the top ten, but just not that one. Yeah. It needs to take place of, like, um, the good King Welsh. Not good King Welsh. Um, Winsless. Yeah, Winslet. That, which I could be pronouncing that wrong. Just say it with confidence no, and go on. <laughs> I, there is, like, a song, like, you learn, like, the first song you learn on piano is, and like, Hot Cross Buns. One of them's called Good King Welsh. and has nothing to do with the Christmas song, but my brain's not. And it's just doing weird things. But anyways, yeah, I think it should take place of that other song. It's a good song, again, just not top two. All right, what's yeah. number one? And number one, drum roll. Not really because I don't want to mess with the mics. <laughs> oh, holy night. I knew it. I knew it. Yep. I totally, and we don't see these lists beforehand, y'all. Yeah, this is totally a hot take. All right, here's the thing, though. The second verse is about God coming to redeem and breaking chains and oppression ceasing. And so in that sense, I think, again, it has some great theological lines. But that song is terrible to sing as a congregational. I have heard people sing it. If you are not Josh Groban, you should not be singing that song. And that is just my opinion on it because it's just, it's high, it's low, it goes weird places. It's a gorgeous song. But unless you're a trained voice, just give it up, listen to it, call it a day. Well, I, I actually know some people who can sing this pretty well. Um, so to give an alternative perspective. Okay. I actually think people can sing it that aren't just Groban, but at the same time, I'm saying not to this because it's not better than Hark the Hailed Angel Sing. It's not better than some of these others. And, and again, I'm, I'm really interested in what their rubric was. Was this just like some random Joe Schmo that was like, I like these songs? Or if there was any kind of like actual intentionality to, to what they were. It's a great song. I think it should be, if it shouldn't be number one, it should still be in the top five, but it's not. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it's number one. All right, Amanda, what do you think about the list as a whole? I think as a whole, it's kind of not. Like, it's just random. It didn't seem to have a lot of um, direction or any kind of rubric as to why it should be where it was. So, yeah, not. And predictably, you know, I, I, I'm not going to use sanctified now. Like, I've, I've, I've held <laughs> out this long. I'm not going to wait to the last moment to not take a stand, you know, follow through on this one. I'm going to say not to it all because they put Hark the Herald Angel Sing so low. And then whoever wrote this list, go, go and watch like the the holiday peanut specials, go watch that, and then th- think about your life choices. Um, <laughs> I will say, <laughs> come back to the table. <laughs> before I would judge this, I just read something that I think has to be part of the judgment, and oh. they did say that it might have to do with the roughly 1900 year head start, but there are more musically awesome religious Christmas songs than secular ones, and for that, you know what, I might just give them a hot for that. Well, but this is a list of, it'd be different if we were comparing Christian Christmas songs to non-Christian Christmas songs, which is just funny to say um, and to think about that statement. But um, but we're not. We're comparing yep. all Christian Christmas songs. And so I, I think that in that sense, that doesn't weigh too much. Like, it's not like we're comparing Hark the Herald Angel Sings to Baby It's Cold Outside or um, Santa Baby or anything weird like that. Like. If you're going to have a rubric for all these great theological Does, songs, you have to stay with another that. another question. Does every church have like a Santa baby scandal? I know a lot of churches. I know that... uh, like the church <laughs> I used to go to when I was a little, little kid had one. Um, I haven't had one recently, but I, I know of churches that have had one like, since. Yes. Yeah. It's like every church has the like Santa and baby what? story where somebody comes in and starts like singing Santa baby in like a service. And it's generally. And it's unplanned and yeah. like the whole service collapses. Like I've heard this. It's like one of the 
generic tropes of like church drama. <laughs> it's almost like a um like um like a unicorn or a Sasquatch. You, you keep hearing the stories, but you've never actually experienced yourself. You, you just you just stand back in horror as you hear it. 